0: Get in the action, on the Action Addicts Podcast, no greater faction, than the action movie scene. Get in the action, on the Action Addicts Podcast, your satisfaction, action all the Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley, and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. It's been a while. So first of all, where have I been? Uh, for those of you who aren't following me on Twitter, or aren't following the channel on Twitter, I'd advise doing so. Uh, because the recording computer, and my, aka my laptop, uh, died, and it had a complete... Failure of its chipsets on the motherboard. So there was no reviving it because due to the fact that it was a custom build laptop for gaming, the motherboard was basically the cost of a new laptop. So that's what I did. Uh, I've now got a new one. I'm working through the kinks and one of the first hurdles that I have now come up against, which is why I'm probably sounding a bit different and I'm going to have to see how I go on this, but my, <laughs> My mic doesn't like my new computer, so I've had to spend forever trying to find a way to get it to sound semi-decent, and I can see while I'm recording that my audio levels are all over the place, so this is going to be great fun to edit. But the settings that I've used for years don't work, and for those wondering, I use Blue Yeti, and I am just unable to record on anything other than one of the worst, uh, Polar settings, which is the one that picks up everything, which is why I'm trying really hard to not bounce my sound around the walls, because this will pick it up. Uh, whereas previously I had it set to only pick up what's in front of the mic, i.e. me, and that worked quite well. But for some reason, whenever I use any of the other polar settings, it just sounds like a World War One radio full of static, to the point that I if I hit record in Audacity, it literally just comes out as and there seems to be nothing I can do about that. All of the fixes that are guaranteed to work when you Google it don't work, and uh, I've tried a different USB lead, I've tried different USB ports, and yeah, there's no driver to to go wrong, it's plug and play, it's a USB mic. Uh, I would love to say that, oh, well, you know, this just means we'll have to upgrade the mic, but I'm not in a position to do that. You know, I'm not really in a position to get a new laptop, but I kind of needed it in more ways than one. So I did share the link to my coffee uh, account over on the official Action Addicts Twitter. So if anybody is feeling uh, charitable and uh, really likes the show and wants it to continue, feel free to lend a hand. But if you don't, that's cool too. So that's where I've been. Uh, and unfortunately, the laptop died during the October specials that I was trying to get done and the fact that the laptop uh, wouldn't boot and couldn't be fixed and I was getting you know uh, going away to do other stuff and it all just kind of happened and I was just like I can't I can't do this so this episode is one of the what should have been spooky action cinemas you know next episode it's uh got myself and Lindsay talking about Samo Hung's uh, Encounters of the Spooky Kind, and we had a great blast talking about this. And as I said, before the, the month of October started, I got a lot of episodes ready and waiting to go, and I had them all planned out. And <laughs> thanks to my laptop dying, that plan went out the window, and really irritatingly, I don't, I don't know anymore what the plan is going to be for episodes. Um, there are people who've had their episodes waiting for a very long time that should come out first, but thematically, I kind of want more recent episodes to come out because it's when they should have come out. So stay tuned. If you've been on the show and you haven't had your episode come out yet, it will come out. I just don't know when. So that's kind of where we are on the show. And the fact that this mic is, uh, Looking like it's going to be the next thing to die on me, which when it does will fuck the show completely. Um, so yeah, life has been going well. <laughs> so I'm going to throw you over to myself and Lindsay now. Obviously we recorded this a month and a half to two months ago, so enjoy. Um, I've tried to cut out any of the references to stuff that never happened, didn't happen, but... Obviously, when we had this conversation, it was a different laptop ago, and uh, there were no reasons why spooky action cinema couldn't have just carried on as per normal. So, yeah. Either way, see you for the outro. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the live room. One day I'll decide a name for what this is when we actually transition from my intro to the actual live bit. But for now, we'll stick with these awkward intros. I'm joined today by Lindsay Wilkins for our third, if my brain is working right, episode of Spooky Action Cinema. How are you doing, Lindsay?
1: I'm doing really, really well. Thank you so much for inviting me on for this. It was quite the (laughs) honour.
0: Hey, man, I have been... Uh, I have had Encounters of the Spooky Kind sat on my shelf pretty much from day one since Eureka put the Blu-ray out. I finally had an excuse to rip the packaging off and actually put it in the goddamn Blu-ray player. So I was very happy when you said yes.
1: Oh, that's when I was so happy when you asked, because I'm like, oh my god, I get to finally unwrap my Encounters of the Spooky Kind then of Eureka Blu-ray and watch it. <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure I got that when it, when they first released it as well, and it's just been sitting on my shelf. Um, so this was a, this was like yes, I have that over there. I'm looking at it.
0: <laughs> I think the problem is because um, I don't know if I if I'm if I'm gonna say this or have said this in in other episodes. Because yeah, this October month special is a bit of a mess in terms of my cohesiveness. But mm. I I had this film locked in and loaded for the month of October this time last year oh yeah because this is when I, I i think this time last year is about when action addicts started to become more than just a thing i wanted to do and became a thing mm-hmm. i was doing like i i think i i had the logo about now i think i get the theme song next month and i'd already decided i wanted to do like an october thing and i yeah. had encounters of the spooky kind and that's what kind of triggered it like this is the film that made me go ah there are actually quite a lot of action horror crossover type things so this is number one now i need three more forgetting that there are actually five bloody mondays in october so then i had to quickly find a fifth one <laughs>
1: <laughs> no that's a good thing well that's really exciting because uh, i think they released it around october last year as well so this is when um, people could actually get their hat well people in the West could get their hands on this movie. But no, there's, I really love action horror considering the last time I was on, um, we did Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Which says yep. everything about that. But I really, I mean, one, fighting monsters is awesome, but there is something about action horror that I just, well, I guess because I'm a horror, I really do like horror So me- and action. So when you mix them both, I'm just like, yeah, I, I am very happy. And then when you actually look at the subgenre, you realize how many movies can actually be cons- considered action horror. I mean, if you really want to put it in a category, you can put Predator, Predator in there because technically the, he is an ugly motherfucker and he is kind and he is a monster, <laughs> if you really wanted to put it that way, as well as being sci-fi action.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, Predator's definitely... Pre- Predator is definitely... Is, Predator is a film that nearly made it into this month's selection, but then I decided... I I love Predator so much that it is definitely a guaranteed episode on this show. I just don't know if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to save it for an October special, or if that's just going to be a regular episode, because, yeah, Predator is its own beast, quite literally.
1: It it literally is its own beast.
0: So, am I right in saying that uh, this was the first time you'd watched Encounters of the Spooky Kind? Uh,
1: kind of. Um, I tried to watch it on a YouTube rip that I found a few maybe six months before it had come out and it was such a terrible rip I didn't I couldn't actually see what was happening except for Semo Hung just running around like a madman so I didn't I was like oh this movie's not very good or something's wrong I'm not getting it then when I finally watched the blu-ray I was like oh this is so technically yes I will say this is the first time I've actually seen it because I was actually able to view it and see what was happening in it (laughs)
0: Uh, well, fun fact that this was also my first time watching it properly. I have seen clips and bits and documentaries that have talked about this film, have shown off bits and pieces of this film, but I have never actually been able to watch it from start to finish because this is one of those films that I didn't have as a kid. I've never seen like a a DVD of it, even though I know it exists, but Mm. I never had the, like the Hong Kong Legends disc. There's, there's quite a few Hong Kong Legends discs that I know exist, but even though I we literally had a Hong Kong Legends subscription, I distinctly remember that was not one of the ones that we got somehow, which is weird because I, I, yeah, I, I wish I could remember exactly what happened there. I don't know if we stopped the subscription, if there was an issue with post or what, but yeah, there seems to be way more of these discs than there were of the magazine. But anyway, so my, my question is going to be then, what did you think of it?
1: Uh, I really loved it. Uh, it was, I don't know, I, I. the more I watch Hong Kong movies, the more I'm kind of gravitating towards just Samo Hung movies in, in general. But this was just really fun and inventive. It's got a, a very Evil Dead 2 vibe, even though this came out like about six, seven years before, or even came out, I think it even came out even before the original Evil Dead. But it's just this really fun, mad, insane, the plot kind of stops mattering at some point kind of movie. And you're just watching this kind of, sometimes it can be a, a very imaginative, sometimes a little bit creepy, very goofy in a lot of parts. But no, I had a really good time with it. What did you think of it?
0: Yeah, no, I I really liked it. Um, And you are right. Uh, it's funny you say that because I actually like when I'm watching the film and I'm making my notes that nine times out of ten, I never actually bring up in these episodes. But there was a specific point where I was like, Evil Dead, question mark, anyone? And I was (laughs) like, but I know for a fact this came out before Evil Dead. And yeah, this came out in 1980 over in Hong Kong and Evil Dead didn't come out until 1981 over in America. And obviously, let's be real, there's no way that they could have influenced each other because there's no way that someone in America saw this. And even if Evil Dead had come out, hong kong didn't have uh access to the latest hollywood american films like that that's part of the reasons why when people often question you know why why is the humor so dated and i'm aware that there are other words you could put to that but i'm going with dated and it's because all (laughs) the stuff that they were referencing to was old hollywood it was and that's you know That's something that I think when people watch these films now that they don't understand. And that's why some people maybe bounce off of 1980s Hong Kong, because it's such a culture shock and a backlash to a time that in Hollywood was so many, so many years ago. But for Hong Kong, it was like, well, this stuff has only just kind of reached them, at least when they were kids stroke teenagers, you know, obviously they were adults, but you're influenced by the stuff you watch when you're a kid stroke a teenager, not really the stuff you watch when you're an adult. Let's be real.
1: No, exactly. And when, um, actually the first time I'd heard about this movie was actually on a list of evil dead ripoffs. Uh, Cause I was doing what? something with it. A... I know this is, this is, I know this is insane. This shows how the racism for this list. Um, and it kept coming up and I was doing a ripoff list with Matt Bledsoe's film feast. And this movie kept popping up. I'm like 1980. That seems weird. Cause you're right. I don't, They keep saying Sam Raimi must have seen this movie. I don't know how he would have seen this movie in Michigan or wherever he was when he was making the first Evil Dead. And they kept saying, this is a rip. I'm like going, and then you watch it and you're like, no, this is not. Yeah, there is those same vibes, but this is not, there is no way that Sam Hung could have gone. I know about this one guy who's going to make this movie. There's no kind of way. But because a lot of say Western writers consider Evil Dead the holy grail of horror, Anything similar has to come afterward, even though when you look at the dates, it's like no, no no, this movie came first, and evil Dead and spooky uh, spooky kind actually have very little to do with each other. They're just taking these same sort of threads of mythology, or I don't even know the case of Evil Dead. I think he just says, I want demons and just made demons whether Samo hung is actually working with actual Chinese mythology. Um, yeah, it's insane how many lists that it will pop on if you go if you go in and go, hey, what's an Evil did rip-off? It comes up. It's insane. <laughs> really... I've just, just, just killed Scott.
0: <laughs> that, that, that has really depressed me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I think now you've said that, I have actually seen it before. But I mm. think, well, A, I probably didn't twig the difference in release dates because I probably wouldn't have looked because I wouldn't have paid much attention. But also, yeah. I just sort of roll my eyes whenever... I don't like those lists that say such and such is a ripoff because nine times out of ten, what they actually mean, it's a homage. And yes, very few people actually set out in films to rip someone off. And if there is a, a scene that you're thinking of audience where you're like, no, 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 this this film definitely ripped them off. It's probably not that they ripped them off. It's that they loved the film they're watching so much that they wanted to recreate it for their film, which is not the same thing. And I know you know i'm gonna I'm gonna happily wade into some hot waters here, but one of the directors that I think now gets this shit a lot is Quentin Tarantino because everyone assumes that he just ripped off all the Asian films that he'd seen growing up for Kill Bill, and it's mm-hmm. like he didn't rip them off like it's not like he subtly tried to do it so that you wouldn't know. It's so blatantly obvious that if you've seen any of the other films he's referencing, like Lady Snowblood or Bruce Lee's Mm -hmm. Game of Death, you're not going to not know, you know? But the difference is is he's not going to be like, oh yeah, these are all the films that I'm taking from and paying tribute to. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know, me telling you ain't going to do shit, you've got to go and watch some other films made before your time, kid, and then you'll get it.
1: Oh, exactly. And I think yeah, Tarantino, I'm like, no, he's using things he loves and mixing them in a different way that they are different. Admittedly, the first time I did watch Lady Snowblood, I kept expecting that alarm to go off every time she looked at someone she was about to murder.
0: Um, but that's because I had seen,
1: it's like, Hey, something's wrong here. Where's, where's the alarm? No, that is because that is how uh, Tarantino interpreted that. I will say there are some kind of films that will go, Oh, this is a trend. We will absolutely do this. Oh, this movie's making money, let's make something similar. Or if you're Italian, we're just going to use the Jaws music. Uh, Bruno Mattei, we'll just use the Jaws music when we're using a shark movie because why the hell not? Um, There are some absolutely delicious, kind of (laughs) really disgusting, um, usually from (laughs) Italy, when you're talking about a um, Ripoff movie, if anyone's seen the movie Shocking Dark, you know what I mean, or as it was called called at the time, Terminator 2. Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) I mean, all the Italians would just make sequels to movies that weren't that they. I think they made about three sequels to uh, *Night of the Living Dead*. They're amazing. Um, So I think when people use that term "rip off," they think every other country is doing this. And Hong Kong has always been because way it got in Western film and everything like that. It was a very different way. They were kind of they were much more insulated from that and were just doing their own thing. Um, As I said before, we were started recording. I was just reading up about the Hong Kong New Wave which sort of started in the very late seventies and went into the early two thousands because that it gets again. It, and you made a really good point. I think it was the writing wrongs episode you did when you talked about how Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin was such a huge influence on these guys, which is why the humor can seem very dated, yes. um, but that's what they were watching. And then as you get into sort of the eighties the and nineties, they're seeing a little bit more. And then you get maybe John will kind of regurgitating something else. And then as usually happens, the United States will do oh we're gonna do John Woo and then copy it and then the cycle keeps going on forever but um yeah it's kind of fascinating when you look at that direction but yeah I didn't watch the special features on the disc because I'm terrible at watching special special features but it is
0: if it it makes you feel better you didn't miss much mostly it's it's just an interview an archival interview with Sammo Hung which I did watch uh but in all honesty, it wasn't really about Encounters of the Spooky Kind. It was more just his bits of his career, which was interesting, yeah. but it really wouldn't have added much.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so when you're sort of reading around the movie, you sort of realize, oh, Sammo Hang was one of those filmmakers that was sort of coming up in this new wave, as long with uh, Jackie Chan, uh, John Woo, um, Toy Hawk. Yeah, you sort of realize these filmmakers were sort of coming up in this new generation after sort of Shaw Brothers was kind of slowly dying, and you just get all this kind of really interesting stuff coming up. And yeah, Spooky Kinds was kind of one of those first movies, which makes it even more fascinating.
0: No, it is. I mean, so I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna circle back to that because I need to. To it was in the Writing Wrongs episode where I was talking about their influence by black and white, silent, Mm -hmm. vaudeville, comedy, slapstick, you know, all all of the great black and white era comedians, those guys were growing up watching. And and, and a big part of that, like, just in case people listening don't know exactly about how these guys were brought up, you know, they, they did not, none of them came from rich families. The reason that they have the skills that they do is because when they were kids, they were not doing well in school i mean jackie chan is a great example because he to this day by his own admission can barely read and write like there's a reason why he yeah yeah he like never learned properly and Mm -hmm. he and he got to an adult basically pretending he can and that's part of the reason why he became a stuntman is because it's one of the few jobs where those skills weren't necessary and he Mm -hmm. went over to australia to try and like have a normal job and Uh, everywhere expected him to be able to, you know, read and write and he couldn't. Mm. I think, I think he did eventually like plug the gaps so that he can do basic stuff, but he's by his own admission, he's never going to be someone that is going to sit there and read a book or or write a novel because it's just too hard for for him. And Samo is the same. You know, Samo, when he was a kid, he was always getting into fights. He was by his own admission, a bit of a bully uh because he didn't have a problems getting physical and everybody else picked on him. Jackie was exactly the same. Mm. Um they were both basically deemed troublemakers, even though it you know, five minutes of listening to their version of events and you have to wonder if they were the troublemakers or were they just the victims of the actual troublemakers. But Yeah. As someone that was also bullied, it's funny how uh once the, the victim starts fighting back, then everybody else takes notice. But for the months you endured being bullied, no one gave a shit. Um, oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of on their side with this one because I I, I, I kind of was the same as Samo, which is that the day I learned that not only can I fight back, but I'm actually kind of good at it. And I'm kind of better than the people who thought they were the tough guys. Uh, that kind of did almost sort of turn me into a bully as well. But we won't go into that. So they went off to the Peking Opera School, which was basically being separated from their families. And so they were each other's family. like They consider each other brothers because they were. They lived with each other for seven years, getting the shit kicked out of them by their teacher if they did the slightest thing wrong, which is not something that any kid listening to this can probably relate to because they don't do that anymore. Even in China, the Peking Opera Schools are pretty much gone. I don't think there's Hardly any, if any left the way that they grew up. Uh, it's just not done anymore. Obviously, there are places in the world that still do this. I'm not saying it's mm. gone from society, oh, no. but mm. certainly in the West, you don't get taken away and separated for most of your child life and horrifically beaten if you do, you know, if you don't perform. But, uh, go on.
1: Yeah, yeah. sorry. I knew they both went to the Peking Opera um when they were very young. I didn't realize that they would bring up in the system together, though. That is, yeah, that is fascinating.
0: So basically everyone that was part of the new wave and everybody that was popular in the 1980s are all part of the same school and all mm-hmm. went together. So it, it it's funny because part of it is just fate. Part of it is the fact that the school was really good and that their teacher... Yeah. You know, regardless of people's opinions on the teaching techniques, I suppose, is the nicest Mm. way of saying it. Um, It worked. Everybody Mm. was really good at acrobats, at martial arts, at performing on stage. And they were so good that a film producer came to Samo's teacher and basically said, we need people that can do this stuff. Do you have anybody that would fit the bill? And Samo was 14 when he became a stuntman uh, while still being at the peaking opera school and uh, the master was very happy with this because he got all the money that they earned essentially being stuntmen when they were teenagers Mm.
1: yes because they were still underage so they had to go to their yeah that makes sense it's horrible but that makes sense and it's happened to so many child working child stars or actors
0: (laughs) and uh then when he was no longer under contract with Peking Opera School, like his seven years came to an end, and he was able to basically do what he wanted in terms of going on films, what slowly started happening is he would essentially be like the contact between the Peking Opera School and the film industry, and so he picked the other kids or the other adults, teenagers, whatever you want to define them as, that would go and work on films with him, and so as time went on all the people he picked were all the ones he knew were good not even necessarily his friends like he picked the people mm-hmm. he knew were going to deliver because that made him look good but funnily enough all those people were pretty much all the people that became known as the seven lucky fortunes or lucky stars and then yeah. a lot of them became part of the Jackie Chan stunt team the Samo Hung stunt team like a lot of these films were basically made by all the kids that grew up in a boarding school and decided, fuck it, we have these skills, let's make some
1: films. Yeah, and they became very successful at it. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing because you do, when you sort of watch those era of Jackie Chan movies, Samuel Hung movies, the same actors do keep popping up. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense because they all knew each other when they were teenagers, getting the, sounds like getting the shit beat out of them um, and having to do all these insane physical um physical kind of feats and now they're just like okay well we're bonded we're together let's go out and and make movies
0: yeah exactly and um you said right at the beginning i think that you as as time's gone on you've started to realize that you really like samu hung films uh from hong kong and i hmm. agree i've always been i've always really liked samu and i've realized as time has gone on that the Jackie Chan films that I enjoy the most are the ones that are directed by Sammo because Sammo is more interested in good fights, good action, and some hard drama, whereas Jackie is far more interested in the comedy. And I think even though Sammo does have some of that vaudeville-esque comedy as well, I can tolerate it and put up with it because I know that when it all kicks off, it's going to be worth it. Whereas Jackie can also do that, don't get me wrong, but you'll find with a lot of his stuff, there's a lot more comedy in it because he, that's what kind of made him, you know, who what he is. That's his brand. Whereas Samo was more than happy to just get, you know, boot people in the face and just go with it and make some harder films. And recently exactly. on... Sorry. Recently on The Art of Action, the, the show that Scott Adkins does, he had mm. uh, Eric Jacobus on. Have you watched that episode, just out of curiosity? No
1: not, no, not yet.
0: So Eric, who is someone that I've followed for a really long time, really like, and I'm so happy that so many people are seeing uh, that dude's a genius when it comes to action design, to choreography, to filmmaking. Like, It really winds me up that he isn't bigger than what he was I mean he is he is successful don't get me wrong but he's not he's not what I think he should have been but he openly said that Sammo Hung was basically what he based all of his stuff on and he said you know he he's seen and reviewed like 500 plus Hong Kong films and action films and without a shadow of a doubt in his mind Sammo's the best to ever do it he just understood where to put the camera how to get the best shot what Angle to shoot a particular move at. And more importantly, everything he asked someone to do on a film, he could do himself. Like he, he isn't going to say to someone to do an impossible stunt if he's not prepared to do it himself. Therefore, it's not impossible. And the fact that, that that Eric basically echoed what I've always thought, which is that Samo is, is just the best filmmaker of, of all of the ones that came out of that, that era. And I know some people will say some other names and, this is only a personal opinion. Don't don't attack me. But uh, I agree with Eric, you know, and and the fact that you said the same thing. I just wanted to sort of circle back and say, you know, Eric also said the same thing, talking about how that he was inspired by Vaudeville and, you know, make of that what you will, you know, in this day and age. But I just think that Encounters of the Spooky Kind to to actually talk about this film, it doesn't really have that and there's quite a few samo films that don't have that it has a little bit of of silliness hmm. that you can laugh at in my opinion but unlike say the lucky stars trilogies uh that has a lot of dated oh, yeah. comedy that every time i rewatch it it gets a little bit harder to sort of go uh you know
1: <laughs> yeah i know what you mean no it's i think we i think he is i mean as much as i love Jackie Chan I think he's just incredible and you can kind of see how he's sort of taken things that Buster Keaton did and just expanded on it to the point where he's hanging off a bus for an umbrella in um police story but I think Sammo Hung is the better actual director I think he likes to work in different genres I think you're right he likes to work in a bit more drama so you've got say Eastern Condors which is much more of a military um kind of men on a mission movie you've got um, millionaires express which is kind of this kind of epic train kind of thing and then you have also the lucky styles trilogy with like like uh uh wheels on meals always trying to gotta make sure I get that in the right order yeah. um which is very 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 goofy I Man, that's kind of the trilogy of um jackie um samo and i am
0: Yen not beer. gonna
1: get his thank you who are kind of amazing and then but then you have spooky kind which is he, he's not he's willing to go which a lot of movies do like that are not English movies will just wield very differently in tone, but he does know where to put the camera to make something creepy. Or if he wants to go more of a comic angle, he kind of knows what to do. And he goes, Oh no, I'm making the movie first, then having everything else in it, regardless of what Jackie Chan, I watch his movies like, Oh no, I'm going to do this and show this amazing thing on screen. But I'm not necessarily concerned with the movie as a whole sometimes, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're both as skilled as each other. I just think that they have different strengths. And I also think that yeah. one of Samo's biggest strengths is he can be the guy in charge or he can be the collaborator. And I think that it's not a stretch to say that Jackie started as a collaborator who then went into his own stuff. But I think as time went on and he found a lot of success, he stopped being... collaborator and was always had to be the guy in charge and yes I think that is one of the reasons why as time went on Samo has in my opinion the better filmography that you can watch as a whole sure there are odd bits that don't work you know like you say he's trying to experiment Mm -hmm. whereas Jackie has a handful of really good films and a bunch of other films that for me I got no real interest in rewatching. you know
1: that's pretty much it. I mean, there's always going to be a handful of Jackie Chan movies that I'm going to go back to, where there's Sammo Hung, even if I don't think the movie's going to work, I'm always going to want to go back to because, yeah, I think he just makes the more interesting movie just overall. Um, there's always, I can always go, okay, you're trying a thing and it didn't work, but I know that you tried it. So you wanted to see if you could do it, um, where as opposed to Jackie Chan is like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to do this one thing because I know I can do it really well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, again... And this I... is not
1: a Jackie Chan bashing thing. I think he's a genius.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. I...
1: I think he's super talented. And I think some of the stunts he's done on film is amazing. I'm just going to watch the Sammo Hung movie more. I'm going to watch the, the Jackie Chan.
0: No, yeah, exactly. So so this is the thing. Like When you're talking about Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, Yunbyu, the mm. three dragons, any one of their films is good like when when I'm yes. saying that there are a handful of the Jackie Chan films that I don't want to rewatch that doesn't mean that they're bad it just means that my personal taste prefers the way Sammo does films for the most part but there are a handful of films that were made by Jackie Chan sort of and they're really good and the reason why I say sort of is because yes they were directed by Chan but most of them also had Sammo on and Samo helped him do a lot of stuff because everybody just kind of filled in. That's how they did it. Any film that has young Buon, well, even if he doesn't really have a starring role, I guarantee you he's doing a lot of the doubling, a lot of the stunt work and a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, even films where he is the lead actor, I've, I've, I think there's a, there's a fight scene out there somewhere. I can't remember which film it is where he's kicking his female opponent and then is the person that does the fall from that kick because he's doubling the actress even though he looks nothing like her obviously and mm. then the camera pans out and he's playing himself again on the other side and it's just so funny uh because it's so noticeable now but people you know that's not how films are made these days you know these guys would just whatever needed doing whatever role needed filling in whatever skill you had that you could do you did it and yeah. you weren't really worried about making sure that your name was on the poster or the front cover, you know, to say this is what I did, this is what he did. It was just we all made it. Uh Jackie, did you direct this one? Yeah, okay. Okay. Mm. Samo, did you direct this one? Yes. All right then. You know, it was mm. as simple as that.
1: Yeah, I directed it on this day. Which I think, um, even though people don't sort of cross kind of lines of what their job is, I think people forget that films are a very collaborative thing i mean it's not just one person who makes the movie it's multiple multiple people it's just say the director gets their name on it more than anything else because they're the director they're the one in charge but that doesn't mean that you've got other people who aren't really important to the project or the movie who do like you know cinematography stunts um post-production and editing um sound design um set design all this kind of thing kind of goes into making the movie and when you're making a martial arts movie yeah it's doubling it's coordination it's and yeah so these guys because they've all grown up with each other just and um, because they're realizing that they went from being either bullied or bullies or basically being misfits to now being the coolest kids in the class um are kind of just like going yeah awesome let's let's make movies
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and obviously. Mm-hmm. We're only talking about the films that they made. They Mm. all starred in films that were made by other people that were all just as good. Mm. So, you know, they had a lot of experience behind them. And like you say, once they started churning out hits, everybody wanted to work with them. People wanted to finance them. And they were challenging the big dogs at the time and basically going, well, that's the way you make movies, but this is the way we're making them. and. they're making money so clearly it's not wrong which is kind of what people were trying to convince them at the time it's like no 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 no, that's that's not how you do it and it's like well it's how I do it get get on board or get out the way
1: uh, yeah exactly and especially with Sammo Hung and going back to Spooky Kind um he was act- I mean the Spooky Kind is the first uh what was credited as this might be some more that people were gonna say actually I know about this movie um the first martial art horror comedy movie made in Hong Kong and also um he was one of the first person to use now I'm gonna butcher this sorry Mike Scott Jiangxi genre which is basically the vampire so you this is when you get to later on Mr. Vampire it's the hopping corpse which I absolutely adore but he was the first one to kind of mix that into a movie in 1980 and that's kind of and that was a huge hit and kind of this genre which when you're looking at it, you don't actually realize, oh, this was the first one to do it exactly like this,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny because, um that interview with Samo that I mentioned actually mm. he does touch on that a little bit, which was basically that he wanted to make a uh, a horror film in inverted commas, but obviously a horror film in the same way that you know he still wanted it to be martial arts based, you know he still wanted it to be what people enjoyed of him but he wanted yeah. to try and do something different and blend all this stuff together and everybody told him that it won't work and you shouldn't do it and uh he was like well i'm gonna try it and if it do not work it do not work and then of course not only did it work like you say it birthed a whole genre it kind of reignited people's passions for that particular part of a uh, chinese mythology mm. with the Qi vampires and a lot of the ancient sorcery that I found uh, really fun to watch, but also this would kind of lead into to a film you mentioned earlier, Eastern Condors, which fun fact is a an episode that you guys will probably hear about November. Uh he yeah, actually basically <laughs> <laughs> he basically had the same uh, conversation with Eastern Condors, which was war films didn't really get made in Hong Kong, and he was like why? And the answer is, well, because the Hong Kong itself doesn't really have much experience with war, and so people don't really care about it. Like There's nothing for them to relate to, and so basically the challenge was, can I make a a war film, in inverted commas, but still incorporate a lot of the stuff that people expect and want from an action film, and make it entertaining and still make money? And I find it interesting that he did it with Encounters of the Spooky Kind, and then he basically did it again a few years later with Eastern Condors, and it's like if someone says to him, Oh, you can't make this. He goes. Oh, well, now I'm going to make it. You know,
1: exactly. He's he seems very stubborn that way, and also just shows the fact that he wants to do different genres. He just doesn't want to do the same genre uh, action martial arts movie over and over again. It's like, oh no, I can fight vampires in this one, or we can go into the jungle and do a war movie, or we can do something else. It's he he, he sounds like the kind of guy if he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again, he's going to get bored. He wants to keep seeing what kind of movies he can actually make and I think we get a very rich um filmography yes that had up and down but you know he's willing to actually try it and I think spooky kind of actually works I mean you can kind of see there's a joy in him tooling around with the special effects the costuming the creatures it it feels like it feels it has an energy to it that feels fun
0: yeah I mean the film's opening is weird, and it's it, it immediately yes. sets you up for a spooky, <laughs> creepy film. Like where he's, you know, these two pots are talking to one another, and then you realize that that's because there's ghosts inside of them, and they they attack Samo and take a chunk out of his leg. And I was like, "What mm. is going on?" And then he wakes up, and you're like, "Oh, it was a dream." Okay. No,
1: it's yeah, it's kind of like the thirty six um. Uh, I can't remember if of Shin Chi Yu who directed that one 36 chambers of chelon where you have um that amazing kind of credit sequence with him doing all the, the all the moves and then you start the actual movie it's kind of like that except it's Sam- <laughs> I'm getting chased by two ghosts and talking bots and you' like what is happening
0: <laughs> yeah saying about the effects there are you know it's it was made in 1980 in Hong Kong special effects I suppose as people think of them today is not their strong point it never has been which is why yep. i was really surprised to find that even though there are a couple of uh <laughs> of ropey looking effects that i i found charming there's actually a surprisingly good set of visual effects of makeup effects and there's wire work where you can't see the wires and i was sort of like what the hell like this this comes out years before some other films that people love and the wires are super obvious. The effects are not really any better than this film, and it's like eleven years later. I'm looking at you, story of Ricky O. And
1: uh, <laughs> yes.
0: And you know this this film kind of nails it, like to the point that when I'm gonna go uh, uh, jump ahead a bit, but when when those three spirits get sent after him and they levitate down and all of the lighting goes green, you'd think that would highlight the the paper mache masks that i think one of them's wearing and uh the the wires but it doesn't it just throws them into shadow and makes them actually look like spirits that are flying rather than people on wires and i thought you get it like you you understood when you were shooting this how it was going to look in your head on the finished film and that's what you need if you're going to try and make a film like this that i think everybody making it was sort of like this is what we can do, this is what we can't do, how do we bridge that gap, you know?
1: Yeah, which is why when you sort of said Samo knows where to put the camera, he knows where to put the camera. Especially with the fact that this is the first time he's doing a special effects, which we call that now, a special effects movie, because this is very specially heavy, heavy uh, it's got a lot of practical kind of things going on. Um, it's amazing, he, he films it in a way that actually looks pretty smooth. I mean, I love the shot when he's in the, First Haunted House, because you, you find out about his character in this, he just hangs out in haunted houses quite a bit. People keep daring him to do it, and apparently he does it. Um, but with the hands coming out of the mirror and they stretch out, it's a really cool effect, actually. it's Yeah, it's a little bit, yeah. you can definitely kind of see the, Um, it's a little bit wonky and it's not, as, um, as so it's not like perfect, perfect, but it's a really cool effect. And it's got this really kind of creepiness to it, which as much as I love Mr. Vampire, that, uh movie leans way to the slapstick goofiness of it all with his um spooky kind really goes oh no we're going to be creepy so let's go creepy
0: yeah no i i love that scene in general um because aside from the fact it does what is so common now which is a fake out you know you you think that you're going to get a jump scare when you don't the camera mm. like what i really noticed watching this film is i'm not a horror aficionado like this is something that i'm probably going to say in every episode horror is not my speciality my wife on the other hand absolutely loves horror so she didn't watch this film because i think she was at work when i watched it but i have seen quite a few horror films even though it's not my thing and the thing Mm. i noticed is how many camera angles how many close ups uh pull outs and uh, a lot of techniques that people identify with modern horror are in this film and this was made in 1980.
1: Yes, yeah, so this actually reminded me a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street when I was watching it, especially yes, how yes. they were using the camera, especially with the stretchy arms. I mean, when you're looking at modern horror, the where you put the camera is really important because you're hiding so much. One, you don't want, you want a person to be looking at a very specific you know, spot on the screen, not looking at, say, a full fight instead of seeing like an amazing martial arts scene where you really want to see um, the broad strokes of how they're moving, how fast they're moving, everything like that you need to be able to zone in on something so you're hiding all the technical stuff that you're going on around it or that you're making sure the person looking at one spot so they don't see something coming in from the left. Um, The way you shoot a horror movie is very different from how you shoot an action movie like any genre but you know where you put the camera is so important because if you're wanting to create a mood you can break it so easily just by having the camera in the wrong place. And you're like, well, that just ruined it. And it's such a simple thing to do, but no, it's got a a very nightmare in Elm Street in the way that it's very surreal. It's very dreamlike. It's got all this kind of, um, it feels like a very modern movie, even for like a night horror movie, what a modern-ish like eighties horror, like well into the late eighties kind of horror movie. It feels like that, but this was like being probably filmed in like 1979.
0: Yeah. And it, it 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 had the the very unlikely effect on me, especially because I'm I'm like I said, I'm not a big horror guy, but I actually mm. felt uneasy in a number of the scenes, and it was down to the way it was shot, it was down to the soundtrack, and it was down to the lighting. Mm. Like obviously, some of the lighting is overt in the fact that they make everything look supernatural with those big greens or those uh pinks, but there's yes. also plenty of sequences, and this is one of them where. The lighting looks pretty normal. And then when Sammo starts to think something's happening and he gets afraid, it's like all the shadows get turned up and all the lights get turned down, which sounds really simple. But again, 1980, like you said, filmed in 1979. And it's not actually for anything supernatural. It's because his friends are playing a prank on him. But it, it represents the fact that in his mind, the fear and the panic is what's doing it. And then what I love is... When the actual ghost then shows up, there's no big violin going. "Ah!" There's no (laughs) big uh, reveal. It's just suddenly her hand comes out the mirror, which is a great effect, I think, and lights the candles with her fingertip. And I was like, the the reaction from the actor and the way it's just done without any build up, without any suspense is way more scary than if there had been this big tense build up of music or whatever. Because you've just had that fake out moment and now she just casually comes into the scene like it's nothing. And you're sort of like, what the hell was that? You know?
1: Oh yeah. And there's nothing more that modern horrors love in movies than a big music sting when something's about to happen. They love it. They will, um you watch anything like The Conjurer, and I love James One, by the way. So this is not a diss on him he will go overboard with the music because I think he thinks it's funny but he will absolutely go for this massive massive sting and then jump scare and you're just like going oh I'm a wuss so I always jump but it's it's kind of that thing of they love yeah the camera will always push and there's always these techniques that they use and this one he's kind of just got the camera sitting there it's kind of like he hasn't it's like almost an accident like he hadn't he doesn't know the tropes of what a horror movie is meant to look like. Um, so he's just doing his own thing, but it actually is really effective and really wo- and really works.
0: Yeah. And then you see her in the mirror or it, because, you know, mm. I, 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 and she's got the makeup on, which in all but one shot looks really good. Like I was genuinely impressed with how she's like half a uh, beautiful girl, half demon. And then. Yeah. The only time it looks ropey is when they do a shot and it's from down looking up. And I think, why did you do that? Because the makeup straight on looks great. But when you look at it up, you can see like the teeth are just layered on over her mouth because you can, it's a horrible angle to film it at. And I just think if you hadn't done that, I would be saying that that is probably one of the best effects in film, but it's still a really good sequence. Like it doesn't take away from it. Um, and I love the fact that it, you know, it sets up this idea that there are ghosts everywhere practically, because we already had the ghosts in the beginning. Now there's a ghost in the mirror. And none of that has anything to do with the actual story of what we're about to get
1: into. This is what I love. That there are ghosts everywhere. This guy who's called uh, Big Guts Chung Chung? I'm probably butchering that name again. Again, no, sorry. I, I,
0: I think they call him Chung.
1: Yeah. Um and that's what he does. It's just his friends will dare him to go to different haunted places and spend the night to see what happens. <laughs> and then that's when you get into the main story. This is just like how he hangs out. Like, I, that's what I love about it. This guy is just like, he's freaking Marty McFly, whenever someone calls him, chicken. It's it's insane. He'll just go, do you want to go spend a night in that house? And he's like, yep, okay, sure, why not? I'll peel an apple and see if I know, oh, whoops, I broke it. Okay, things are going to get mayhem.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it is funny because the actual plot of this film is a bit, uh, difficult to talk about without spoilers, which isn't an issue because obviously, you know, this film is like 40 plus years old. Mm. So spoilers away. But the, the, the film essentially starts with Samo finding out that his wife is cheating on him, which is a weird ass scene because she, she turns it back on him and makes him the bad guy for suspecting her, which, um, yeah is it is is a really weird sequence but it, you know it, it was supposed to be funny and i think it kind of is if you can just view it in isolation it is kind of a funny sequence because mm. he's supposed to be this much of an idiot that he can't even be like well you know wh- where did this shoe come from like this shoe that stays with him for the entire film it's it's almost like a main character the shoe that he picks up at that early sequence mm. Which you is so funny.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a typical fast moment. It's he sees something. He goes in. Wife gets guy at the back window, and then they start this kind of interaction of, well, what about this? Because well, you're never you never have enough money to, so I can buy you new shoes. So you have to have the old one that's bigger than your actual foot. It's a very fast kind of um. It plays on a lot of fast beats, which happens in a lot of Hong Kong movies around this time. Again, it kind of plays into the um older, more kind of comedy. Yeah. When fast bigger and nineteen forties. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so basically, to to try and wrap up a lot of scenes so we don't literally go through this scene by scene, uh, the person that his wife is having an affair with is actually his boss. And mm. uh basically because he was caught and the shoe was left behind, his boss is worried that he can identify him. And the one thing I actually like is even though they, they know he's a bit of an idiot everyone in the village agrees that yes he's an idiot but for the love of god don't piss him off because there ain't no one else in the village that's gonna beat him in a fight and even the bad guys say to each other when they're trying to be like so what should we do and the boss is like you do remember that this is big guts chung right it's like do you Mm want to be the guy that is sleeping with his wife and he's like oh that's a that's a really good point sir uh no (laughs) And it,
1: yes so let yeah let's send him into a haunted house and hopefully the ghost that that sorry the corpse animated corpse or whatever it is i'm getting because this movie is very set pissy like it's um oh there's one moment when he's in the house and the thing with the corpse then you have the eggs
0: then yes. you have
1: yeah then it sort of escalates from there but it is very episodic so if, even now I'm trying to go through my notes i'm like am i mixing scenes up in my head
0: <laughs> well yeah so th- so basically they go to this uh Taoist monk temple and mm. ask him to get rid of Samo, but do it in a way that it can't be tied back to them. You know, it will it will look like natural causes in essence. Um, And obviously, in theory, the monk should say no, because he's a Taoist monk. However, they established real early on that this guy is corrupt. And I kind of like that because there is obviously a bit of history with monks being a little bit corrupt across China when certain things were happening in their history. That kind of caused a lot of problems for everyone because, you know, certain monks didn't follow their teachings. They were tempted by greed. And I like the fact that he kind of worked that in because this film is so steeped in mythology that I like the fact that he kind of brought in a bit of realism to go, well, this is our corrupt Taoist monk. Uh, technically, this is our villain because he's way more evil than the boss actually is because the boss, you know, he's a prick but he really just doesn't want to get caught because it will ruin his public image because he wants to run for mayor. Whereas Mm. the Taoist guy, he's like summoning the dead and controlling spirits just to try and solve this guy's pettiness, you know? And as the film (laughs) goes on, he escalates and gets worse and worse and bigger and bigger to the point that even the other bad guys are like, are we sure we want to still do this? And It's like, yeah, it's too late now. You can't back out. But you also get introduced... Sorry, go on.
1: I was just like, yeah. I mean, he—they even arrest him for his wife's murder, even though his wife was never murdered. I mean, it does—it escalates pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and we also get introduced to the other main character of the film, which is the the monk's junior, in essence, which is the um, uh, the uh, I'm trying to think of the character's name. My brain's gone, but anyway, he's one of the, he's they're June? both.
1: Yeah, I, got, I I I kept calling him Warrior Wizard in my notes, which probably wasn't the best idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember if it's uh, Sue or uh, or is it? Uh, I think Chin. Chin Hoi was the bad guy and Sue was the good guy. Yeah. You, you wouldn't think I only watched this a couple of days ago. For some reason, my memory is, is, is crap today. But, um, Mm. yeah, they're the two priests uh, or the two monks, however you want to look at it. And yeah, the whole film basically comes down to the two of them having a a mystical fight over whether or not Samo's going to die. And, uh, with that said, we can actually talk about the, the action horror scenes now. But the one thing that, i i wanted to explain and it took me a bit of research because something that or says there's several moments in this film that relies you on understanding a lot of chinese mythology and i feel like if you don't some things are going to pass you over and there was one aspect that i wasn't convinced was either being translated correctly or i was just misunderstanding and that was when they started talking about hell money because there's a lot of conversations in this film about the money of hell and i'm look, and i'm like i feel like i'm missing stuff here i feel like i need to stop and google this and so one of the things that they talked about was uh hungry ghost month now i'll be entirely honest like like i said i'm not the biggest expert on the culture the mythology so i assumed foolishly that that was like basically like a made-up thing for the film because it's all about ghosts but actually it's a real thing and it's the seventh month of the lunar calendar. And obviously that changes depending on what year it is. And all the stuff that they are talking about in the film actually happens with the streets alike with Josh paper offers uh, given to the ancestors. And I love the fact that there's so much history about this hell money. And it goes back to like the mid 200 AD. And they've changed over time, obviously. But there's so much history between this that I'm not even going to be able to do it justice. I'd, I could do a whole episode on it. But because paper currency appeared in China so early, between like the 7th and 11th century, essentially hell money formed from that because of the fact that they believed that they could spend it in the afterlife to try and essentially buy them out of hell because hell works differently in China. It's not a place where you go to burn for all of eternity for your sins. You only go there for a limited amount of time and burn away your sins. And then once you've essentially cleansed yourself, you can become reincarnated again in the next life so hell is just the english translation because it's actually the daiyuk, which is the underworld Mm. and so the idea is is that if you give someone hell money they could essentially bribe their way out of hell faster like i don't want to sit here and burn for like six or seven years can i just give you 200 and you'll let me go and i love the idea that even in hell money still talks
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if there's gonna be a place where money talks it's gonna be hell Um, actually next year, the ghost festival is going to be on Wednesday, the 30th of August next year. So uh, get ready. You can get yourself prepared for it. No, I kind of just went, what's hell money. They're talking about the economics of hell quite a bit, but yeah, that actually makes sense. And this is a movie that does revel in its mythology. It's set in the early 1900s. I think, um, somewhere around there, it is all about, um, the myths and legends and sort of ghosts and everything like that. They do mention like hell money quite a bit. So this is a movie that is already playing on a lot of what it's presumed audience, what its audience already knows. I mean, me watching this, I'm just like going, Oh my God, the corpses are hopping. I love it. But this is actually, when you're talking to a Hong Kong Chinese audience, especially at the time, this is, they would already know all this. And it's like, Oh, cool. Yeah. It's kind of just playing with mythologies and stories that they've already always grown up with. So it does have that kind of fairy tale quality and then you just have a lot of cool action in it as well.
0: One thing that I absolutely loved when I was like reading about hell money is the fact that when it was introduced in the late like 1800s, it's actually increased with inflation, like to try and keep uh, uh up to date with uh the earthly money. And I, what I love is that it's never actually reset. So now you can get hell money in the tens of thousands and the millions. And the theory is, is that it expanded to keep pace with China's own hyperinflation in the 1940s. But even after the Chinese economy was brought back, the hell money wasn't. So the hell money is like massive and everything else just didn't. And I love the idea that there is actually a bank down in hell that is just sat there like, why is our dollar worth so much?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is amazing. Exchange rate of hell money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like it's just through the roof. I just just love it. The bank of hell is a real thing and, and you can go there to exchange real money for hell notes. It's just, it, it blows my mind, you know?
1: That is, yeah, that is so cool. Um, that they've, they've created this kind of economic system for the underworld. Um, And it's a very real thing. And yeah, when you don't, yeah, and now because the interest, because China's got a very wide, well, you begin to try to understand the economic of China. But um, yeah, there's kind of just inflation has gone up. So you just get like, oh my god the exchange rate
0: (laughs) and and it kind of goes hand in hand with what i liked about the taoist ritual obviously i know that it Mm. was made by people in hong kong but the first thing that really stood out to me is if this had been made in hollywood the the sequence where the priest just takes over the 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 vampire, the corpse, the chief, whatever it is. I'm mm. pretty, you know. I was calling it a chi vampire, but it might have just been a yeah. regular corpse. I don't know. Mm. But they're bit of both. It it would have just been some guy sat there chanting, or some guy sat, you know, cross legged chanting. But this is, you know, made by the people that know, and it's made by an action director. So naturally, the ritual it has a lot of chanting. Don't get me wrong. So much mm. chanting, in fact, that I don't think anybody knows what the hell they're saying half the time. <laughs> but it then breaks into a big kato with a sword and there's burning and it's a really involved process. And like the priest is like sweating by the time the spell is actually taking effect. And I love that. Like there's such a tax on the human body to actually make a connection to the spiritual world. Like it really feels like. It's not just something that you can do if you read a book for five minutes and, you know, suddenly you're a priest. It's like, no, no, this is a really involved, dangerous process. And if you fuck it up, you might not even make it out of the process. You know,
1: this is true. Actually, when Hollywood did well, I won't say Hollywood because I think John Carpenter did something that when Hollywood wasn't looking and then they turned around and goes, what the fuck is big trouble in little China? But he kind of (laughs) just... I have no idea whether he saw this movie or not. Like, John Carpenter has a habit of going, I never saw Jalo. I just made Halloween. It's like, well, did you? You might have. Um, but he kind of, I mean, they're two very different movies. And they obviously, um, Big China has a very um, American sensibility, but he does kind of capture that effort, especially in the final battle. Like, the final battle in. Spooky kind is like real fire. I'm just like, oh, my God, are these people going like, to be burned? What the hell? Yeah. Um, and then when you're watching um, Big Trouble, it's it's like flashing when they're playing this really extreme case of tic-tac-toe with each other. But it does kind of show that effort of what this actually magic does to people and kind of how you can use it for evil and everything like that. But the thing with Big Trouble in Little China is that no one was paying attention to what John Carpenter was actually making. Um, and he was made able to make something a bit weirder and a bit more bizarre and kind of had these similar tones as to what these movies have so he might have been able to see some of these movies i don't know it's making me think he might have seen a little bit (laughs) just because it's entirely possible yeah it's steeped in this very specific mythology not as in depth as obviously spooky kind because that's made by people in hong kong for people in hong kong um, but yeah, I'm just like, this is also very big problem, Little China. And Carpenter must have seen a little bit of these kind of movies in general, maybe not that one.
0: So, uh, like we said, we were talking about the corpses, and we might as well talk about, uh, well, I'll, I'll combine the both scenes because for those who haven't seen it, don't know why you're listening to this, but for those who haven't seen it, uh, there are two scenes with this corpse in this room. So let's just talk about them all in one go. Um, the moment the bouncing Chi vampire has risen, I, I absolutely love the way it bounces around because I have seen that thing memed to death and I've seen other iterations of it uh, a lot. But actually mm. seeing this version in context with the lighting, with the sound, with the effects and the camera, It actually is pretty freaky and creepy. I'm not going to lie. Uh, The way it it moves, aside from the fact that it it bounces, you know, Mm. that's just part of the mythology. So you just kind of got to deal with it. But the way that it slowly and methodically moves around and like Michael Jackson bends its way over to check under the coffin. I was like, nah, this thing is this thing is left the realm of being like something I laugh at to I do not want to be anywhere near that thing. If this was real, you know.
1: Oh, absolutely. I love how it moves. And I think it's in the first um. bit when you actually have Samohan kind of up on the railing yeah, um, yeah, and he's trying to hide. And then he does this amazing thing where he kind of hooks down, his was was feet curled, and he's just like his head just above it and trying to stay silent. So it doesn't find him. I mean, you do not want um this thing to find you at all. Um, It's yeah. And then I think in that scene, the second part of the scene when he's throwing the eggs in in the coffin, which is to disrupt the evil magician. Um, so the he won't come out again. It's still, yeah, I mean, you're in that one room, but each time you're in there, it's so inventive, and you do not want him to come out of that coffin.
0: What I like as well is in the first scene, it's very slow. It has a couple of moments where it shows you it can move really fast, like it jumps out and goes up onto the rafters because it figures mm. out that that must be where chung is and then it can't find him so it goes back in the coffin because he runs out of time because it can only work at night but then mm. the second time because of uh, of a story reason the the egg doesn't work because it has to be a chicken egg and unfortunately samo has got some duck eggs which he doesn't know um yes. and so eventually the the monk is able to get the vampire out of the coffin but he's angry and he's using way more power this time. And when it comes out the coffin, it's like flashing in and out of existence, sort of like a weeping angels. And yes. uh, the way it just dashes and flashes its way around and just comes for you, because it's filmed from Chung's point of view. So you can see it. It's literally coming for you through the screen. I genuinely was sort of like, all right, okay. You're way more scary than I gave you credit for all these years. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because when you hear the thing of hopping vampire or hopping corpse, it doesn't sound that terrifying. Especially when you've grown up with Night of the Living Dead or other kind of zombies or other undead kind of things. And then you say, hopping vampire, that's not scary. And then you watch and like, oh no, he's actually very, very terrifying. There's something about the makeup and where the camera's shot where you're like, ugh, yeesh. <laughs>
0: yep. And I also love that this is the moment where... <laughs> Sorry. I just I've just this second seen who is credited as the vampire. It's young Who's... It's young Bu.
1: I saw him in the credits and I didn't know why he was there. <laughs> Holy shit. Talking about doing everything that is needed.
0: <laughs> so what I was about to say, well, the reason why I laughed is because I was about to say this is also the moment where you get some proper martial arts because, because yes. Samo can't hide from the vampire this time and the vampire is properly coming for him. He does the only thing mm. he can do, which is try to fight it. And I mm. was literally about to say, whoever is playing the vampire. And then I thought, Oh, I should look, I'll just get it up. Uh, it's really, really good. Like you said, the way he moved, the way he does all these freaky athletic things. And now mm. I know it's young. I'm not even convinced it was effects. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No actually that was just young who um is a human special effect like all these other guys, so yeah, that makes I was wondering why like, he was in the credits, I'm like, is that just a thing that he just google just algorithm just shows him in every single Sammo hung movie, but no, he's a vampire <laughs> that is awesome you might if you're gonna have to fight a vampire, you might as well get someone who's with similar skill level to you, so it looks so it looks like an amazing fight
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I love the fight too because it shows that Chung is not. Easy to beat, but at the end of the day, he's fighting something supernatural. There's only so much he can do. And the fact yes. that, um, he essentially does kind of get beaten up, but he manages to, you know, hold on enough so that he doesn't get killed, I thought is a nice character moment because so much of Chung's character is similar, but also really different to a lot of other Samo characters in that he, is more than happy to allow himself to look kind of small and scared in this film because it's a horror film yes. but as the film goes on he sort of realized you know and and he learns more and the the mysticism starts to be explained to both him and the audience it's like actually yeah this is still scary but there are rules and there are ways that you can fight back and i love the fact that as the film goes on he's still scared but he fights back and I think that that's a more realistic portrayal of somebody in this situation because I think we've all seen those horror films where the horror starts happening and the person just falls apart and they probably could have survived if they'd just done something other than scream and stand there.
1: This is true I mean there's two two schools of way of doing this you have the trauma is so overwhelming like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you just you can't think you just either have to run away or you're going to die. And yet, and that experience is going to stay with you. I mean, when you look at Sally at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, she is not getting over it. Like she is done. Yeah. She is done. But with this one and say something, going back to evil dead, you do get those hero moments. I mean, you get Ash putting on the chainsaw, going groovy and evil dead too. And you have Samo Hung slowly learning from Sue about, what are the rules, how we deal with it and kind of working against the, and he becomes a great underdog. He is the trying to fight against a very corrupt system. Um, And you sort of want to root for him. So you want him to learn more. You want him to actually actively um, beat these guys. And then you start to enjoy the horror more. It's not like going, oh my God, there's this creature. He's going to kill me. And all I can do is run or just fall apart. He's actively learning the tools to actually beat this. And it's just two schools of thought when you're dealing with this sort of situation. Do you want to have absolute dread even at the end? Or do you want that slow rise of the, horror, of the hero moment? And you get the hero mo- moment. And it's, yeah, it's really effective, especially that final fight. I mean, it is it's so cool.
0: I must also say as well that when I said they escalate, they like really escalate. When they realize oh. that they can't, beat him or at least they 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 are not succeeding they change tactics because the priest gets injured because of how he he fights him back he uses this big Mm. pot of stuff and uh they decide to quote unquote murder his wife which is actually done really effectively and i was genuinely like upset at that sequence because i was like wow this suddenly went hard real fast and then it gets Mm. worse because the police have already been informed, like they're practically waiting for him to show up. And it's so super obvious that it's a setup. But the only person that can clear Sammo's name is the uncle character. And then they bring him in. And bramani has been in the film a couple of times at this point already. But now he's had a stroke. And I immediately yes. was like, that is not. He... No, he didn't. Like, that Like is either he was poisoned and that's given him a stroke or this is more dark magic. And it really upset me because that's such a terrifying thought that, that, it, that, you know, you're essentially now a prisoner in your own body. And it was literally just so that you couldn't be a witness for Samo. And what I loved is he still was like, he could still answer a yes or no question by writing. And, uh, when they were asked, you know, was he at your shop? He was writing the symbol for yes, but they pulled the paper out from under him so that he only wrote no. And it's like, well, there you go then. It's a complete setup yeah. and everyone's in on it, which means as far as I'm concerned, they're all fair game to be killed by the monster, by Sammo, whatever it is that's going to happen. It's like they're all they're all in on it. They're all corrupt. It's like whatever happens, happens, you know?
1: Exactly. Because when you, the deck to stick, is stacked against so much against Sammo is that you want something big to happen. As soon as the bad guys, even that were just doing so much dodgy, dodgy shit, you just want Samo and Sue to kind of kick them back harder. And they do. And it's just a really smart escalation of, I'm completely on Samo's side here. Um, I realize what he's up against. It sucks. And I want him now to start kicking some ass. And then he does. So the movie's really good at playing against your expectation of how dark you think this movie's going to get and also with your expectations because you want the hero to win and it gives you that satisfaction. So it's playing with some very basic story tropes, but god they 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 get used because they because they're really effective and you just have a good time at the movies.
0: And and uh with you what you were saying about the two schools, I actually think that he um he perfectly shows you the opposite because when he's running from the police, which is a funny scene in and of itself, but again, I don't want to hmm. break down every single scene. He comes across uh a, a, a corpse that he accidentally breaks the coffin of and he, he has this mm. funny scene where he's like what was this coffin made of you know it just fell apart the slightest touch and yeah. he sleep he sleeps next to this corpse because he has nowhere else to hide but somehow his chi passes into the corpse and it starts moving but it's just basically mimicking him and it's actually a really funny scene i think it's one of the funniest scenes in the film where he doesn't realize it's copying him, it's following him, and then he realizes, freaks out, and then he relaxes, and he's like, oh, and he's the one that actually figures out what must have happened, which is hilarious, because, you know, five minutes ago, he didn't really believe in any of this. And then this black cat walks across the corpse, and it I don't exactly understand why, I don't know if, again, this is some part of the mythology that I don't know, but I don't know if he takes more chi from the cat, or if because it's a black cat, it, like, wakes him up, But this one is just goes full unstoppable monster mode and he is like way faster, way scarier and so much more aggressive than the one that the priest controlled because he's not being controlled and he just flies at Sammo. He hisses and growls. He uses way more supernatural powers. Mm. And I loved it because it's just Sammo running for his life. Like he doesn't even try and fight this one because he works out that ain't going to (laughs) work.
1: this one has cat energy whatever happened it has cat energy and it's like it's pissed no I think it's a really cool scene as well that's the thing about this movie is that every single step piece is so fantastic and so varied it's not just samo fighting and the corpse constantly over and over again it's playing with different ways and also to go to the scene I think after when he hooks up with Sue and Sue's like okay I'm gonna teach you how to do um, everything I'm gonna put talisman all over your body, so we get a great samo hung butt shot. Um, <laughs> the way it plays with nudity in this movie was actually really fun, and just like and the bow yeah. and the camera goes up and the bow, and <laughs> just like yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's even really playful with kind of that making you sort of the laugh and and all that kind of thing. But when um he's able to control with a Sue is able to control all the bodies of each of the cops who's out to literally not even capture uh, Chung anymore. It's just to kill. Um he can sort of stop them, and then that's when the I think the other corpse comes into it. I can't remember exactly, but that whole scene where all the cops just can't move in the surrounding jungle is such a cool scene as well because he's kind of stopped them
0: uh, and there's that, like yeah, massive- so, yeah so that was the, that was the scene I was gonna talk about next, which is which is before mm. he gets all of his talismans because um yeah uh, they,
1: yes they
0: they go and like have a meal, but the evil guy sees them, and so he takes control of his right hand and Samo ends up fighting himself. And that's when I wrote the sentence in my notes of Evil Dead Two vibes. Anyone?
1: Yes. <laughs> um, and that
0: scene is so good and so well choreographed because Samo is fighting himself whilst others, and then actually has to do a full fight scene with the guards or police, whatever you want to call them as. Mm. Um, and I love how I don't know how many takes that must have all taken because he's doing flips over the table, he's dodging swords, but all whilst his right hand is not actually technically working with him and it's like fighting him all the way or it's not moving or it's trying to like punch people that don't deserve it and like cause problems and so much of that was like this is so evil Dead too but evil Dead too ain't out yet you know it's like i i just love how like you said what you associate whatever you saw first you're always going to associate with in your mind but you got to try and remember this shit came first
1: This came absolutely came first, and it's a really hard thing to do because when you watch Bruce Campbell, you admire what he's doing when he when his hand is just literally just trying to kill him, and then you watch Sammo Hung do it, and he's adding another level of not just the slapstick, but also the martial arts and the fighting everyone else. It's an insane scene because you have got you're, you're thinking evil there too. I'm like, well, because that was a com- complicated scene to watch with Bruce Campbell doing all the stuff, and then Sammo Hung's added this whole martial arts sequence to it. Like Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's yep. just was he at that age where he goes, Oh, I can do anything. Like I don't know what my limitations are yet, so I'm just gonna throw it it's a definite movie that's throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. And that sequence is pretty special.
0: <laughs> I also like it because given what we'd said about he needs to stay the underdog, you still need to like him, is he has this mm. brilliant moment where at the same time the two Taoist monks are now fighting because uh Sue realizes that, you know, his master or his friend has gone full dark side, and now he actually has to fight him because he, you know, he's gone too far. He can't let this slide anymore, mm. and so they're fighting each other while Samus fighting the guards. That gives Samo his hand back, and then he has the uh, basically a traditional Samo hung fight where he just beats people up. But what I love yeah. is he does it in such a clever way using the bench against the swords. But then he has this beautiful moment where he slams the bench down, essentially looks up at the heavens, and goes, "Come on." And then as he sits down on the bench to be egotistical, the bench just collapses under him and he falls flat on his ass. And I thought that's such an important moment because, yes, you did just establish that this guy is amazing and can kick ass, but he's still an idiot. And you need that idiot side to keep the audience sympathy with him.
1: Again, Evil Dead vibes again. And yes, this yeah, exactly. After, that is Ash. Ash is the dumbest creature on the planet, except when it's fighting Deadites. This is the same with Sammo Hung's Chung character. He's an idiot, except when he's actually able to fight. Then he knows what he's doing. It's um okay. So maybe Sam Raimi did see this movie before he at least made Evil Dead 2.
0: <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I, I I have no idea. Uh, I would
1: neither way. <laughs> the, the
0: the thing is, is it's so easy to say they must have seen it, but the truth is, I don't know how they would have because I don't think That's this film. Thing. I don't think this film released in America. I mean, I don't even think this film released. In the UK for a while, it certainly didn't release in 1980. I mean, I um, I don't see a release date at all for English speaking countries. Like, I think there's a release for India listed, but I have no idea if slash when it would have even been available for like someone in Hollywood to see it. You know?
1: Oh no, and I know well, I don't think it even got to Australia. For well, it could have been easily for the Eureka disc, and that's wasn't a technically Australian release. That's a British release. But yeah, it's. Yeah, because I know we keep saying that because the similar similarities are there, but there's that I can't remember what it's called when two distinct parts of the world have do something very very similar culturally, um, and it, it's just like the symbiotic kind of something's in the ether and they're just picking out different parts of the mythology. But um, also, you got to remember, Sam Raimi is a huge um, 1930s comedian fan. He's also watching Buster Keating, The Three Stooges, all these things that he's also watching is the same things that samuel hung grew up with so they are working with the same influences and that's how they come out it's it's fascinating so
0: (laughs) sorry i (laughs) i I, I agree with everything you just said but i was also trying to find if i could figure out if if slash when it released and all i've managed to find for release dates is Mm. hong kong 24th of december 1980 south korea 17th of april 1981 and then Hong Kong again the International Film Festival in 2006 and the Netherlands at Imagine Film Festival in 2015 there are however <laughs> alternate titles for the film mm. that I'm not going to go through because a lot of them are just different languages but there were DVDs apparently in Australia um oh. there were there was a DVD as well for the UK and the USA which I believe is the Hong Kong Legends but I also noticed that USA had video title, Spooky Encounters, and then a different one, Encounter of the Spooky Kind, and then worldwide English titles include Encounter of the Spooky Kind, Close Encounters of the Spooky Kind, Ghost (laughs) Against Ghost, and Spooky (laughs) Encounters, and (laughs) Ghost Against Ghost. What?
1: That one I'm just like, hang on a minute. Um, one, there's no actual ghosts. Well, there's one ghost. I mean the the woman at the beginning and at the beginning of the movie, but then there are no ghosts. It's actual fully dead bodies wandering around. <laughs> That's yeah, okay, sure, why not?
0: But anyway, uh that didn't actually help answer the question, but there you go, there's some fun trivia for everybody listening. But yeah, no, I I really like it and I also find it funny because this is when the 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 bad guy starts Getting more powerful And the thing that I that This is the one sort of story complaint I have is He then basically does The whole I'm gonna stick a pin through a doll And that will kill Chung He -hmm. can't because he's protected with the talismans And the uh, inscriptions That uh, Sue has put on his body But my brain went Why didn't you just do that in the beginning? That so much easier yeah that's so much less effort than summoning (laughs) a body luring him to this place hiring local people to like lock him in for the night Mm. and then all this stress you've got to go through to like take control of the corpse it's like this looked like it took you five minutes and all you did was make a straw doll (laughs) i don't understand that
1: i don't understand it yes the movie would have been over a lot quicker but still it's like just do that. If you want to kill someone, that's obviously a very effective way to do it. I don't know where you had to go through all this effort of like possessing a corpse. <laughs> it's, yeah, you're right. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why did you just do that to begin with before he had the talismans on him?
0: <laughs> I do have to say, though, like from a effects point of view, I really, really loved how they showed you Samo's body essentially getting hit with the pins, but obviously yeah. it couldn't penetrate. But I, I genuinely don't know how they did that because. You can see stuff is pressing against his body. The only thing I could think of is transparent, like, tubes that you can't see because they're transparent, but that's surprising that you can't see them, to be blunt. Like, I'm I'm giving him praise whilst basically saying I'm surprised I can't see them, but it's a really good effect. Like, I, I, I love it, you know?
1: I'm not sure how they did that because usually they would have a prosthetic body and then you could see kind of the indents, but they're no, they're doing it on, on Samo, so no idea how they did that. <laughs>
0: And then it's followed by the scene that we were talking about earlier where you get to see the priest has had enough now, so he literally mm-hmm. summons... Well, I suppose you could argue that these are ghosts, kind of. They're spirits or demons of some kind. Yeah. But they, but they have corporeal bodies. And they uh, they uh fly over to where Sue and, and Chung are, and they have a great supernatural martial arts fight that Samo basically is not much help for. This is basically Sue's time to shine again. And he fights them off with uh, a fan and a mirror, but obviously they're mm. enchanted. But it's, it's such a good sequence because you get to see some cool wire work, some more cool effects. Mm. The only thing I didn't like was the lead demon ghost thing. He had a mask and there's a couple of shots where it's super obvious. It's like a paper mache mask. But when it was in motion, when the green light was on it, And when you only see it from certain angles, again, it actually looked really good considering all the limitations. It's just that first shot you see it in like natural light where it looks super bad. But once he gets it into the environment, it's actually spends the most time in. It looks great. But it it, it almost makes me wonder if it was never designed to be seen in that first shot. And they were just like, ah, we need to establish it. And oh, well, we'll just put up with it as one shot, you know?
1: I think so, yeah, because I've seen so many movies that have just the worst special effects in terms of you can like see the zip on the suit of the monster, or um you just, they never hide the fact that it's a paper mache mask or anything like that. So the fact that they, uh, Sammo and his crew was actually going, okay, so we're having this effect. How is it going to look on camera? Is, I'm still really impressed by that. um Just because a lot of movies don't take that into account. They just sort of have, oh, and here's this thing. And you're just like, um, you, you couldn't have at least lit it differently. I mean, they're really concerned in how this thing looks with lighting, where the camera is, all that kind of thing that is really important to any kind of special effect, whether it is be a mask, a papier-mâché mask, or just lighting or mist or anything like that. And they, you can tell this movie is very concerned with all that. And they are very much concerned in, in to create that kind of mood. And it happens over and over again. So when I get one shot that I'm like, yeah, that is definitely a mask. I'm like, I've still seen worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, and I do love
1: yeah and it's still really impressive that you can see the thought that's going into this this movie I mean Sammo Hung is just like going oh I want to make a good movie um and you can tell that's on his forefront every single time so
0: and then uh I think you you already kind of alluded to it earlier but then we get to the final fight of the film which uh, I say final fight the final fights plural I suppose would be a better way of uh explaining it because this, a lot is
1: happening. <laughs> this, yeah,
0: this this is just insanity. Uh it starts off with a great bit of comedy which is that apparently the taller your altar is the more power it has and so if a fight between two uh Taoist monks happens the one with the taller altar will win like that was the last lesson that the master gave to both of the students and so the 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 evil one has basically had all of the guys like raise his altar and like build this massive like scaffolding, and so Chin Hoi is like, "Haha, you can't defeat me and then I love the fact that Su and Chung they essentially have this cart with uh like a spring loaded uh system that just raises it up on like a scissor lift, and now they're equal height again, and it's so funny the way it's and it looks so rickety, but somehow it works
1: <laughs> no, it does, and it's really impressive because I said it looked like that you were using real fire, which. It's always dangerous. I love when movies use fire. I think it's so cool, but at the same time, you're like going, "Oh my god, who's getting hurt?" And yeah, those guys are really close to it.
0: Oh yeah, no, that there is unfortunately a lot of uh, stuff in this last bit that looks too real. Uh, there's yeah. a stuntman that gets set on fire. That I'm sure, I'm sure there were safety precautions of some description, mm. but I don't know if they had the fire-resistant gel that. Mm. We had that we would use like today and have used for a very long time. So I don't know. I hope that stuntman like is fine. I'm sure he was, but Mm. yeah, it looks really good and it looks really good because they really did it. Um, I also have to shout out and I really don't want to, but I'm going to address it is there are a number of animals in this film and they don't get treated particularly well. And I've double checked that unfortunately they don't get treated particularly well. Like all the animal stuff is real, including unfortunately, what happens to the chickens uh yes that that is uh not something i i particularly wanted to have to deal with but it's kind of like different country different time different rules so yeah if uh, that sort of stuff is gonna upset you just skip it is all i can say to that or or just don't watch it but yeah it's a shame that that's in it because it is the only dark part of the film as far as i'm concerned like everything else Mm -hmm. is great and this actual final fight is amazing because essentially Everybody gets to show off, like even like like I said, the, the politicians, the corrupt politicians, even they get to show off that actually the actors portraying them are fantastic martial artists because the way they do it is the monks summon gods and they summon uh, Chinese gods and they possess Samo and someone else. And it, it's different people, but different gods basically take control of their bodies and have fights. And I love the fact that the first fight is essentially the Monkey King versus the Jade General, uh, because that is literally the whole story of the Forbidden Kingdom, which is a Jackie Chan Jet Li film, which I, I personally love. I know not everyone does. And the fact that there is so much history between like the Monkey King and the Jade uh, Palace as gods and all of that mythology was basically just like a rematch. And it's like, yeah. If you want to summon one God that is guaranteed to tick off all the other Chinese gods, the Monkey King is the one you summon. And (laughs) Samo portrays it so well.
1: No, it is. I love the fact that they are just using so much from Chinese mythology. And again, I don't know a lot of it. Um, It's like when I saw Saloon for the first time and I'm like going, I wish they'd focus more on the mythology because I don't know enough about West Africa to sort of really appreciate what is happening. It's a little bit with this but you just know it's so cool like you know that they're pulling from this stuff that um again audiences at the time would just be like yeah monkey king um i love it and i'm just like going monkey king don't know what that is but i love it now i have to go watch that movie sounds awesome
0: Oh, uh, so I would have actually said that of all of the, the, the Chinese sort of deities, the monkey king, Sun Wukong, is probably the one that's most well known by Western mm. audiences because of the book Journey to the West, um, which obviously is about the monkey king literally coming to the West. So mm. that's that's one of the reasons why I thought that, that that would be the most recognizable one. But yeah, the the two gods that they summon after that, which I think is the, the red boy, uh, someone else, I can't remember. Mm. But yeah, I didn't know who those two were. Like, I'll, I'll happily say I, I do not know mythology well enough to say who they were. But they have a great martial arts fight to begin with. And then they have a great weapons fight between like a spear and a sword. And I absolutely love the fact that the god that possesses Master Tam, who is the corrupt politician that started all of this, he kills his like advisor stroke friend when he's possessed because the advisor is like trying to like, are you all right? And he gets stabbed for his efforts, and I found that so funny because he he kind of deserved it in inverted commas, but at the same time it was like he was like, "Oh, are you all right? What's the matter?" And then, Ugh! and then he dies, and it's like the last words are something to the effect of, "I should have just not got involved." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty much, it's kind of like a, "Oh, when you should have just not gone to work that day, you would have been fine."
0: <laughs> yeah and uh you know we have this fantastic well choreographed sequence that's that's really enjoyable it's it's probably one of samo's best like it's so ott then we get the big fire stunt where the Taoists start literally shooting fire at each other um which is just fantastic it looks really good and then unfortunately you kind of get the sad moment where both of the monks die and i again Sue's last line before he dies is chung runs over to him and says are you okay and Chung looks, uh, sorry, and Sue looks at him and says, I'll tell you what, you climb all the way up that tower and you jump off and land on this concrete floor and you tell me if you're okay and then dies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sarcastic to the end, because he's got a bit of a saucy kind of thing. And that, yeah, it's just that that's oh the guilt I would have if I was um, Chung, I'd be like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm the one who kind of got you into this.
0: <laughs> yep. And then, uh, then we have a, a weird ending that I've written Oh my god that ending is very much not fit for modern audiences. <laughs>
1: uh, my ending was what the fuck I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah the well the uh his wife comes out and says hey look I'm not dead I'm so sorry. Uh the, he was going to rape me and and Summer embraces her as if he's going to forgive her forgive her and I'm like going okay she's not mm, she, she's not going to get away with this completely because she did sort of it's probably not her fault I mean she can't control what these guys are doing. But she's going to get a comeuppance. I just wasn't expecting her to get body slammed or like punched in the gut like five times and then body slammed. Yep.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mid credit, the credit start where she's just being thrown in mid air. I was just like, did not expect that ending.
0: Yeah, Chung Chung is not kind to her. And in, and in fairness, I will actually say she did know full well what they were doing because she's literally there in an earlier scene. Where the twist is revealed mm. that she's not dead. And it's one of the times where the priest is trying to kill him. I think it's actually the scene with the, 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 the doll. And she yeah. done, she doesn't care. Like she does not mm. care about Chung at all. She just wants someone to look after her so that she doesn't have to work or worry about anything. And yeah, she was more than happy to let her husband die if it meant that she could live with the, the future mayor. And then once she realizes, Oh, uh, I guess my husband won the battle. Okay, well, I guess I'll stick with him for a bit longer until the next best thing comes along. You know.
1: No, you can tell from at the beginning that she she wants a better lifestyle than she has. She wants more wealth. She wants more power and everything like that. I just don't quite know if the body she quite deserves what happens at the end. Um, it's kind of a harsh image of just this man just pummeling this woman. Um, but yeah, she is one of the bad guys. I mean, that is kind of the whole thing. She. She's She likes having the affair with with him because he's going to be future mayor. He can give her a life that she's would like to become accustomed to. Like the first thing you see her with Chung is she's complaining about the money. Like, I want more money. I want more. I want a better life. And so this makes sense that she would do that. And she's like, well, I'm going to marry this guy once this guy's dead. It's all fine. But yeah, that ending still is uh, a...
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, It's just one of those things that I there's no because even the dialogue he says I just I just winced and I was like oh you could tell this was made in 1980
1: (laughs) oh you're telling me some Hong Kong filmmakers of male thing in the 1980s were a little bit sexist oh shocker but no it is it definitely packs a punch and you know that she's not going to get away with this there's no way but yeah it's like holy okay summer calm down
0: (laughs) I mean in fairness I don't get me wrong. I kind of agree with you in that, you know, it is a little bit OTT, but at the same time, mm-hmm. she was more than happy to pretend oh. to be dead, which she knew would mean that the police would kill him. Cause obviously he was originally supposed to be executed for the crime of killing her. Yeah. She cheated on him repeatedly and he just watched his only like real friend that he gained through all of this die. So I'm kind of like, I don't hold it against him. I just, like you say, it's so out of nowhere and unexpected. <laughs>
1: i know i was just like going she's because she's established someone that doesn't know how to do any of this so she's kind of, it's the fight is a little bit one-sided and the fact that it's a frame uh, freeze frame on her in the air is kind of just like whoa
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's like the way they hold on it's just a bit yeah. like oh i
1: don't know but okay 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 that, i mean it's a cool image i mean don't get me wrong and again come up and i'm just like going and we've just reached the point that it's completely ott now okay yep okay
0: (laughs) so uh i think we've broken down a lot of the themes that we like uh what is your thoughts on how well this film meshes action and horror
1: i think it meshes it really really well i think um because the fact that they engaged in fighting with the with the actual uh dead bodies the fact that it's um, they are seen as an actual threat, the fact that you've got magic involved um, in this, the fact that they're summoning gods to make them stronger, the fact that the um, Sue can, um, you know, freeze um, soldiers, the fact that stage has to fight his own hand, it really kind of takes almost this body horror approach to to the action, which I think really works when you're doing with action horror because body horror is meant to be very visceral, very, very about the body, and so is a martial arts movie. And they do blend it really well together.
0: Yeah. And I, I will also say as well, because I meant to say this earlier and then, and then I kind of forgot, but, but you were saying about Sue um, manages just to freeze the the guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't just freeze them because that scene ends with him telling them to attack the police chief. And so he the possesses police,
1: them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and I love that sequence because it's so like visceral and like he has to defend himself and he's not long seen the other Corpse, and I love the as the film goes on, the police get less and less interested in chasing Chung because they keep running into supernatural stuff, and it's just so funny how their resolve just crumbles as the as those scenes go on. It's like, uh you know what? Let's we 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 looked, we couldn't find him. Let's go home.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not paid to deal with this crap. Is is yeah, but I do like how you just see less and less cops coming in.
0: Yeah, and I uh, I think it's a it's a really good example of how to blend genres together I Mm. I would really like to see it's not that I would like to see this style of film return because obviously it's kind of been done and I honestly don't think there's much that you could do these days to do it better it just kind of makes me sad that we don't get like you were mentioning how similar this is to Big Trouble in Little China and I think that's true I think this might be one of the only films that you could actually put in the same double billing and actually feel like it's kind of hitting the same tones. But there really isn't Mm. anything these days, in my opinion, that is trying to blend martial arts action with horror. Like, I'm actually trying to do that seriously. Because I feel like if this was made today, the only way that any filmmaker would get away with it or be allowed to do it, however you want to look at it, is it would have to all be a joke. Like, they'd have to take the piss out of it, you know? They'd have to do that Marvel approach of, my God, did that just happen? You know.
1: Yeah, the wink, wink at the camera. Um, I mean, you could argue that something like the raid does have a horror elements. Just the way those guys are crawling up the apartment, not through the stairs, looks very demonish in the way it's shot. But that's not funny. That is just pure brutal. People just getting kicked in the face, um, and murdered brutally. I mean, some of those stunts. I'm like, is your back okay in that movie? And it's, it's insane. And you, but it, even though I don't think it's marketed as a horror, I don't think a lot of people see it as horror. I just kind of went, huh, it's kind of filming it like that, but that's because he needs to hide certain things. Um, uh, the director, I'm blanking on his name, Gareth, Gareth something. Evans. Gareth Evans is probably just trying to hide things because um, it was a very low budget movie. Um, But yeah, you don't actually see a lot of movies blend genres unless it's like a superhero movie. And it's because they're winking at the camera going, oh, isn't this cool? wink, wink? And look what we're doing. Um, But a lot of other movies are just being, it's one thing and they're not blending anything else. If you're a martial arts movie, you're a straight martial arts movie. If you are a horror movie, you're a straight horror movie. If you are a comedy, you're just a comedy. You don't, sometimes sometimes a little bit of horror comedy, but it's not, yeah. Movies tend to be just this one thing so they can market it a lot easier and I think um, that's even why Big Trouble in Little China didn't do as well, because I think people just looked at that and went, I don't know what this is. I don't know. how is it a comedy? Is it an action movie? Is it a fantasy movie? And it's kind of sad that we don't get movies like that anymore that have like three or four genres running around. Um, They're very few and far between.
0: Yeah. And and you're, you're 100% right. I think that so many great ideas for films probably don't even get off the ground because somebody somewhere in a in an executive office says i don't know how to market that and that's Mm. that's as far as it gets like in in big films the raid is an interesting pick because i almost did the raid as part of this month um there is an episode on the raid coming which will probably also be november uh and uh and the there's i can't remember who did it but somebody out there did a great article or a great twit thread i can't remember now which it was basically saying that you can view the raid uh, in the same mindset of a zombie film and that all of the people that they take down, like the regular goons, are essentially treated mm. as zombies. And if you view it from that way, like you said, then a lot of the way it's shot like a horror film comes into focus because, yeah, I, I see it too, like with the way that they're disposable, that the blood and gore anyway that is inherent in that film. But that film was made in 2011. That film is 11 years old now. It is. it's the fact that you have to go back 11 years to give me uh, something that's kind of, but not really an example of that is kind of my point, you know?
1: Mm. And well, no, I could say Saloon, but I think that's a little movie out of Africa. That's, I think, is catching a lot of people off guard because it's doing that exact thing. And Shadow was smart enough to go, oh, okay, we should put this on. That's an interesting movie and it's capturing people's imagination because it's six movies in one in under ninety minutes, which I still think is insane. It's you know it's got your horror, it's got your mysticism, it's got your creature feature, it's got your bizarre Agatha Christie mystery in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, but that is one movie literally had to come from Africa. Like it's not um, something that is in any other film industry that I'm probably well actually no anything in India has like seven movies happening, but those are their own kind of different thing. But yeah out of western movies i'm just like come on you complain a little bit you don't have to just do one thing
0: <laughs> no i a hundred 100 agree
1: mm.
0: and uh even to be fair even in hong kong although it did kind of give a, a new genre the genre didn't stay you know eventually it went out of, of vogue and yes people are aware of it and i think there are the occasional new film that kind of references or riffs on it but Mm. I don't think I don't think people really know how to make it work in the modern era and I guess as a result of which when you go back and watch these films it makes them more special because it just came at that right time with the right people to demonstrate that it can be done and I think the, the, the sad part for me is there isn't another generation in Hong Kong in the west in a lot of places coming up wanting to prove that they can do it too and make the new spooky kind make the new big trouble make whatever random thing that they've got on their mind that no one else has thought of yet it just doesn't seem to be Mm -hmm. happening like it used to
1: no and that's kind of what i love about horror well not kind of i do love about horror is that the your imag the movies are often limited only by your imagination even with the budget I've seen really there are so many small budget horror movies that do so so much um and you can do anything and the fact that it everything's sort of becoming either um only speaking to uh, American movies either 200 million dollar movies or 300 thousand movies that's kind of where it sits and sort of um, especially with genre filmmaking at the moment and it's kind of like no 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 we can get you know that mid-budget back a little bit because that's where that really sweet thing sits, and that's when you can do so much more. And yeah, I want that. I wish that disconnect. I think it's probably shrinking a little bit because thanks to streaming, that they're doing that kind of more mid budget one. But again, they're not doing that really blending of the thing because everything has to be really marketable, really really quickly. And no, I I, I want more movies that have such sick genres in them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you, <laughs> if, if you filmmakers you make... get to yeah you make a great point about the streaming services because uh a film that i did an episode on literally after that sorry that came out right after i came back from getting married was day shift and i think day shift is kind of what started my brain thinking of what are the modern equivalents because day shift is one of them but again i agree with you it's done in such a way that it's a hundred million dollar movie it stars people that everybody knows and it's Yes, it does have horror and action elements, but it's made sure to do it in such a way that it I don't personally feel like it's taking itself 100% seriously. It does no. have serious moments, but it made damn sure to keep it pumped full of comedic moments so that m- the mainstream audience that it desperately wanted to get the attention of didn't tune out, basically.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it's got like the Dave Franco bit. I mean yes, and my love Snoop Dogg is dressed up as a cowboy. I am going to be there always. Um, but yeah, it gives you the uh, the brother um the Scott Atkins action scene, which is incredible. But then everything else around it is just like, oh look at this, isn't this silly? And it's like, well, actually, not exactly. You've been kind of treating everything at you. There are moments where it treats it very seriously, and moments when it's just giggling at the camera, and it didn't quite blend those enough.
0: Yeah, that's, but I did enjoy it.
1: I did really enjoy that movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it too, as I said in the episode, but I do agree with you. It's not, it's not slamming them together and taking it seriously. It's putting them together and having a laugh about it with the occasional serious moment for the drama. But I feel like overall, it's still in that winking at the camera, just not quite to the same degree that, say, a Marvel film does. But anyway, I think we have officially reached the end of this conversation i'm sorry that this uh, might be a bit of a long one uh so thank you very much for lindsay for putting up with me and for coming back to talk about close encounters of the spooky kind
1: oh no thank you for having me this was the perfect chance to pull up my blu-ray and i had a blast with it and a blast having the, the talk about it so thank you for having me on
0: that's quite all right hopefully mm-hmm. uh we won't leave it quite so long to to get you back <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it was an absolute joy. And I will have to get you back on Shluckanora in the new year.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, for, so for anyone listening who hasn't gone and listened to it, we we did a great episode about uh, the Dalek invasion of Earth 2150 and hardware, which are uh, a, a bit of a weird blend, uh, maybe, when you first hear it. But go and listen to the episode. It works. That's why we picked it. No, it them. really
1: works. It, it really does work. And that was an absolute genius choice for that one. So, um, no, that was great. <laughs>
0: Right, thank you very much, and I shall now hand you over to myself of the not-too-distant future to... Well, if you follow me on Twitter, you already know what film is coming next, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you, so see you in a sec. ha 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 There you go. You've reached the end, and uh, hallelujah is all I can say. We got an episode out. Uh, I would love to tell you what the next episode is going to be, Because, as I very helpfully said, you know, I'm going to tell you what the next episode is and you know what the next one is. Well, you probably don't and neither do I. I have one more episode from Spooky Action Cinema that was recorded. And I'm trying to decide if that's going to be a bonus episode or if that's just going to be next week's normal episode. I'm kind of leaning towards it being uh, uh, next week's episode because I want to put out one of the November episodes that should have been a November episode sooner rather than later so we'll see Um so basically to cut a long story short you're either going to be getting Mandy or Eastern Condors next and I don't know which one you'll see first uh, I hope you enjoy both of them you know whichever way around I end up doing it but sadly uh the last film for spooky action cinema I've decided not to do because I never actually got to record that episode Um, it was the last one that needed recording when the laptop decided it wasn't going to boot. Uh, so that one is going to be saved until next year. In all honesty, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to save it because I already don't like the fact that I've, I've got episodes now that are talking about this event that ended, uh, 14 days ago. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. We just got to make the best of it, but. Thank you very much to those of you who continue to support the show. Thank you very much to everybody that's continued to listen. I probably should have said all that in the intro, given that a lot of people don't listen to this outro, but if you are one of those people that listen to this, that just makes you all the more special, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. It hasn't been going great, I think is the nicest way to put it recently, and I know that's true for a lot of people, not just myself, so thank you for continuing to send messages of support for seeing how i am and hoping that the show comes back for those of you that are on social media for those of you that are on discords etc cetera, etc cetera. so i don't know what the future currently holds for this show because it's been all over the place mostly due to factors outside of my control such as equipment dying uh but yeah it is what it is i'm hoping that the f- upcoming year we're going to have consistent episodes but if the microphone dies next your guess is as good as mine as to when this show is going to be consistent either way guys i hope you enjoyed the actual episode that was buried inside this depression that is is this intro and outro but either way i'm looking forward to seeing you in the next one and i hope that you guys are happy that the show is back Thank you very much guys and I will see you in the next one.
1: On the action